Whether you want to pursue a life as a minister or simply desire to deepen your knowledge of the Bible and widen your understanding of your faith, Dallas Theological Seminary is your first resource. Join believers from across the globe in a spiritual journey of scholarship and service. Learn about all 66 books of the Bible and their theological significance. Find out more about all the enlightening degrees and scholarships at dts.edu. That's dts.edu. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well. This program acknowledges the traditional custodians of the land, the Awabakal peoples. I pay my respects to the elders past, present and emerging, and to any Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander peoples listening in today. I had lots of people come to the school. They would turn around, they'd look at the building, and then they would look at me, and then they would say, John, there are spirits in this building. I feel them. You're You're listening listening to to Friends Friends with with Ghost Ghost Stories. (laughs) G'day and welcome back to a Purple Top Records podcast, Friends with Ghost Stories. My name is Georgie Winchester, your host and producer. This week we have John Takori, who reached out to me via the Purple Top Records Instagram page. John worked for over 35 years in a 100-year-old sandstone monastery in the Blue Mountains in New South Wales, where he was visited by many spirits. And this is his story. My name is John Takori, and I live in the Blue Mountains of Sydney, and I'm a teacher and I've worked for many years uh, in an old, very old monastery in the middle of the, um, the national park. So this monastery is built of sandstone. Uh, it's like a mini Sydney university. It's just all sandstone and it's, um, uh, you know, arches, and it's right in the middle of wilderness. And the driveway is about a kilometre long, maybe a little bit more, from the nearest road. And it's on, um, it's on 1,200 acres. And it's just right in the middle of forest. And it's a place which is quite a sacred place. We know that there have been some archaeological um, diggings Mm. um, there from from the early 1960s. And um, it's been a monastery since uh, for over 100 years. It was first built in 1909. And it was built at a time where uh, Springwood which is where it's located, um, was very isolated. Um, it itself was in the middle of nowhere. And then it, this monastery was built in a, in, a, in a place that was even further from civilization. Um, anyway, it was purchased, um, obviously, a very, very long time ago. And we know from the archaeological digs that it was a meeting place for two indigenous tribes, the the Darug people and the Gandagara people. And there are plenty of um, archaeological artefacts that were 
discovered on the property. So, and it was a very spiritual place. And then it was quite interesting that another spiritual place, a monastery was built on top of this a very spiritual place for Indigenous people. Anyway, so I've been working there for a very long time, decades, and and I've always known it was a very special place for Indigenous people and obviously for, um, you know, for, for people with a spiritual outlook and religious beliefs and things like that. So I knew from various stories from people before me and, and colleagues um, in the early days that there were sort of ghosts throughout the building and even throughout the property. But I, I didn't really take too much note of it um, and it didn't um, phase me at all or anything like that. But over the years there were many encounters that I had with these um, these spirits, these ghosts, whatever you want to call them, many encounters. And, and tonight I just want to share just uh, two. They weren't, you know, in any particular order, anything outstandingly special. They were, they were simple encounters that I had. And over time, I simply just got used to them. One particular um, time was <clears throat> um, in, on the top story of the building. So it was a two-story um, sandstone building. And, I, and I'd had a lot of other encounters before this time, but, um, but this one sort of um, was the first time that something occurred which um, was physical. So what, what happened was um, it was a Saturday morning and, as you can appreciate, teachers work uh, beyond, you know, nine to three. And mm -hmm. so it was a Saturday morning and I went, to the, I went to school to do some marking. I had some projects due for the students. So I got there pretty early, about maybe 7.30 in the morning. And, um, and, and nothing unusual, you know, I, I, it was a common time and place and day that I frequently went to school to do work. It was quiet. Obviously, there's no kids. There's hardly, well, there's hardly anyone there. Occasionally, there might be one or, one or two other teachers that might be doing some work. And, um, but on this particular occasion, I, I, I walked upstairs and I went to my desk and I have my had a coffee mug on my desk, and there was no one in the building. Um, but you know, I was aware that others, other people could have come in the building at any stage uh, to do marking, or whatever. But at that time in the morning, I was on my own, and um, I picked up my coffee cup, and I went next door to um, grab a cup of coffee. And it was interesting. The, the staff room was next door to the staff study room. And it, originally, this staff room, this, lunch, this staff lunch room, was uh, one of the old and original chapels of this monastery, which, if you look carefully, 
you can identify features that it was a chapel um, where mass was conducted um, for the, the, the student monks at the time. I thought I'd just put that in context. Anyway, so I walked into this uh, staff lunchroom and, um, and it's shaped like a, like a rectangle. So it's very narrow, but very deep, just like a chapel would be. Anyway, the kitchenette is at the other end of the room. So you have to actually walk the whole room to get to the zip heater where you get your, your, your tea and coffee and, and hot water. Anyway, it was very still morning. Very, you, you couldn't hear anything. It was totally silent. And I walked in the room and as I was walking quietly, um, and it's on carpet, so you're walking quietly in the room, all of a sudden there was this music that was playing really softly and it was like above my head. To best describe it, it, it was like a ballerina music, something that you would open a, like a ballerina box and the music would come out. And, and so I sort of looked above my head and I thought, where, where is this music? And it was really soft, but it was in the room. And I thought, this is really weird. And so I sort of s stood still and I, I looked up and I thought, maybe it's coming from the PA system where the announcements are made by the school principal or something like that. So I sort of leant close to where the speaker was of the um, of the PA system and there was nothing coming coming out of that and I thought this is really odd and I thought I wonder if someone's left the record on this is really weird so I actually went up to the speakers put my head close to the speakers my ear close to the speakers and there was no nothing coming out of there and then I looked around the corner and I noticed that it was unplugged. It was actually the, the the it was unplugged from the electrical socket, and I thought, "Wow, this is this is really odd." And then all of a sudden, the music stopped, and I thought, "Okay." Um, and and at that time, I I felt that there was a presence mm. in the room with me, and and it was a presence that I'd experienced before. And I thought, okay, yeah, all right, no worries. I, I get, I get it, I get it. So I didn't make a cup of coffee. I just walked out of the room, and I just, and that was that's that's how I do things with them. I just leave their presence. So I, I, I feel like you know I, I'm in their space, and and I think, well, okay, maybe you're trying to communicate with me. Maybe you don't want me here, and that's okay. And I just simply turned around and I walked out. I walked out and I went into the staff study room and um, the lights weren't on. So it was a little bit dark, not too dark because you could still see, um, but it, it was a darkish room. So I sat at my desk and I uh, took out my papers that I had to mark and um, and I started marking. And, and then all of a sudden there was... The, the, um, I was sitting about maybe four metres away from a door, the main door that enters, the teachers entered the room. 
But between me and the door um, was a really tall set of cupboards. So you couldn't actually see the person from where I was sitting. I couldn't actually see if anyone was walking in. And, um, but you could hear the door open and you could, you know, you could generally hear things. Anyway, so here I was marking away and probably from the time I sat down, maybe I was there maybe 20 minutes. And all of a sudden, I heard the door creak open. And as soon as I heard the door creak open, I straight away thought, oh, a teacher has come to do some marking. So I shouted out, oh, um, how are you going? It's John here, um, just, just doing some schoolwork. And there was no reply. And then the door shut. And... And you could hear it just click closed. And I sort of just waited. And then I heard these sort of very faint footsteps walking. And I just thought, hey, it's John here, just doing some marking. How are you going? And I said that without really knowing who it might have been. But there was no reply. And then all of a sudden, those footsteps just stopped. So what I did is I stood up. And once you stand up, you can see over the cupboards. And there was no one there. And I thought, wow, that's really odd. So I just sat down again and I continued marking. And maybe a minute had elapsed. And then I heard the footsteps. And the footsteps, and I, and I had my back um, to these footsteps. It's not that I was looking at where these footsteps were coming because my desk was facing another way and, and so my back was turned. And I actually, this time I didn't look around. I just stopped what I was doing and I just froze and not out of fear, but I just... I just, I was just quiet and I could hear these footsteps getting closer and closer to me. And then all of a sudden, these footsteps were literally behind my chair. But I, at this point, I did not turn around and I just froze and I still had my pen in my hand and all of a sudden, this person, this thing, grabbed the with their two hands, grabbed the top of my shoulders as if someone was putting their hands on no. the top of my shoulders, close to my neck, and 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 I could feel the weight of their hands on me, oh, and I knew I knew that it was no body there but it was something there doing this to me. And then all of a sudden I felt one hand lift and as if they got their knuckles and then from the top of my neck, they rubbed their knuckles right down my spine. And then they lifted their hands away from my body. And at that point I realised that I had a ghostly visitor and it was the first time 
in my experience that a ghost had touched me. Previously, oh. I've been in their presence, but not physically touched. And at that point, I spoke to them and I said, okay, I, I know you're here. I acknowledge you're here and I'm not here to harm you or to do anything, but I accept that you probably don't want me here and I will leave. And literally I left everything there. All I did was pick up my keys and then I walked out and down the stairs and walked out of the building and went home. What do you think it was or who it was? Look, I, I don't know, but um, one of the roles that I had um, at, the, at the school was I, was I was in charge for many, many years, about 15 years, I was in charge of Indigenous students. And I was like their pastoral carer of Indigenous students. And, and part of my role was um, to look after them and talk to them and um, have programs for them. And one of the other things I, I did as part of my role is invited Indigenous people um, quite often to the school to talk to the Indigenous kids or to talk to certain year groups and about um, Indigenous history, artefacts, um, workshops on Aboriginal dance, those sort of things. And without a lie, from the time that I um, started the role of uh, say Indigenous um, carer, um, I had lots of people come to the property, uh, to the school, and I would invite them upstairs and give them a cup of tea or a coffee. We would chat, they would do their workshop, and then after that, you know, I would, you know, see them out. I'd walk them literally out of the building and I'd walk to, I'd walk with them just as a, it's just as a gesture of hospitality, I'd walked with them to their cars and see them off. On, at every, on every occasion, not 50% of the time, not 20%, but 100% of the time, as we walked out of the building and we went beyond the sandstone arches, which were the main entrance to the, to the building, the Aboriginal guests would... Turn, they would stop, they would turn around, they'd look at the building and then they would look at me and then they would say, John, there are spirits in this building. I feel them. No matter who, I, who came, but they, they were all Indigenous, no matter who came, they always had the same message. There are spirits in this building. I knew from within a couple of months of me arriving at that school many decades ago, that th there were spirits there of some form. But to have an Indigenous person um, consistently tell me, without knowing the history of the place, never setting foot in that place, saying to me, there are spirits in here, mm. I feel them was very, very fascinating. And it just re-emphasised to me what I had felt in, in, that, in that building. 
Wow. Do you think you are more connected or susceptible to um, feeling the messages of spirits? Look, I, I don't know if I'm more susceptible to that or open. I, I look, I probably am more open to things like that. I, you know, I, I do have a belief system. I am a spiritual person and, and I have been all my life. And, you know, I've met spiritual people, you know, along my journey, uh, but I've never known them to talk about ghosts. And, and it's, you know, I don't talk about ghosts. It's, it's not a thing that I would normally talk about. But I wouldn't say I'm more susceptible to it. I'm probably a bit more open-minded about it. Mm. And I appreciate that they do exist. Wow. I, I don't know. Mm. I would love to hear about some things about your belief systems, but maybe you should tell your other story first and then I can ask that at the end. <laughs> uh, another story is, um, so it, it's still in, in this, um, in, on this property, attached, not, not physically attached, but maybe about 20 or 30 metres away from the sandstone building, um, there, there is, I'm going to use past tense because it is no longer there. Mm -hmm. um, they bulldozed this down to make other classrooms. Um, but there was a, a three-storey building. And what it was, it was an accommodation centre. So this is where the, the student monks would um, sleep. And it had beautiful views over, the, um, over this incredible valley. Um, the it's called the Gross Valley, and the Gross Valley is huge. It extends from the top of the Blue Mountains in Blackheath, and it comes all the way down to Springwood, and it finishes on the property of this school where I worked. And you can see right through down the Gross from the top from the top story. Anyway, I was I was very lucky that I had um, an office with a beautiful balcony. Um, that looked over this gross valley, and I had the, this office was mine. It was, it was a large office, and and it had um, two rooms and an ensuite. It was built for lecturers at the time, so um, the 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 monks who lectured, the student monks. It was their bedroom. It was their bedroom and office. But you know, when when the monastery shut down. Uh, in the 1970s, then it became a school. And over time, um, you know, I inherited one of these offices and that's where I used to work. On one, one particular um, time, it was, it was the evening. It, it was about, it was in winter. It was about five o'clock. The sun was setting very quickly and I had um, a deadline and I had some major um, task to do um, by the following week. So it was a Saturday evening um, and, and I parked my car right near the entrance to the building. So what happened was I, um, I went up to my office and I was studying and then all of a sudden, you know, it was, it was maybe about oh, eight o'clock and it started pouring, there was thunderstorms. It was incredible. So, it was massive gale winds and being on the top story, you could really feel 
um, the, the pounding of the wind and the rain against the, the window and the window sills and the roof and it was incredible. Anyway, I just kept, you know, I just kept working and working and um, it was about 11 o'clock at night and I could, all of a sudden I, the, the wind had stopped it was still a little bit windy, but it sort of calmed down and the rain had calmed down a bit. But I was still working and and but as the wind was sort of starting to die down, um, I could hear these bins rolling around in the playground just beneath me. And I thought, wow, you know, why are these bins rolling around? It's, it's pretty windy, so maybe... You know, they've had enough and, you know, I could hear one or two bins rolling around. And um, so I, I didn't take too much uh, notice of it all. Um, and, look, it was probably, it was maybe about quarter to midnight by this time. And I looked at my watch and I thought, yeah, it's getting pretty late. Um, look, you know, I better get going, really. Um you know, it's pretty dark. So what I did is um, I I locked up everything. Um, it was pitch black at, because where this property is and, and this school is, it's in the middle of the wilderness. There's no lights. There's nothing. It was a, a it was a dark night. Obviously, it had been raining. It was cloud cover. It was pitch black. Uh, we didn't have um, telephones, so I couldn't put an iPhone on and have. I, I, look, I, I just knew that. I, I, because I'd walked this strip and walked downstairs many, many times, I, I sort of knew it pretty well. And and so what I did was I um, I just cl- switched everything off and I just had my hand against the brick wall and I knew that if I followed the brick wall, I would, you know, reach the foyer and then from the foyer I would then be able to get to the stairs and, and literally walk down four flights of stairs. Um, and it was pitch black, like I said. But when I got to the bottom, um, it was all, it, one wall was all glass, it, you know, the, where the stairwell was. It was all glass. It was maybe a little bit of light coming through. Anyway, I got down to the bottom and my car was parked right near the doorway. So I opened the door. As soon as I locked it, I could literally just, you know, two metres, I jumped in my car. And when I jumped in my car and I turned my lights on, all of a sudden, I saw all the rubbish bins everywhere. And I thought, wow, this is really, really odd. And there was branches and things. And I know it was a terrible storm, but I thought, this is really odd. Anyway, what I did was I um, started the car and turned the lights on and, and I was then dodging the bins and I drove through the playground and then alongside the sandstone building. As I was driving, I was driving extremely slowly. I, I saw this to the left corner of my eye. It was pitch black, but I noticed this white flash and I put my brake on. And I thought, what was that flash? And it was a small flash. It was like a, the flash of a human being. And it was like a, a, the, the shape of a human being um, but, and, and the size of a human being, but it was a flash. It was like someone was running, running and it was like a, I don't know, it was like a cartoon flash of Flash Gordon, something crazy like that. Mm. 
and but I saw it from a distance, and this distance might have been about ten meters away, and I could see it through the shrubs. And I, like I said, I put my brakes on, and and I just stood still, and the car was running, and and I was frightened, and I didn't know what it was, and then all of a sudden, this white flash landed on the top of my bonnet. No. And then it disappeared. And I saw it flash and I, it flashed all the way down the driveway. And it scared the living daylights out of me. And so I turned the car on and I chased it. And I chased it down the driveway. But because it's a heavily forested driveway, it wasn't, it, it, it zoomed into the forest and I just didn't catch it anymore and I, and I lost it. And I thought, this is crazy, this is ridiculous. But it, it, was, it was a big thump on the bonnet of yeah. my car and then this face was just looking at me. So in, there was a in, face in it? There was a face with this flash of oh, white. Oh my god! And and I just it just scared me. I even screamed. I thought, "What the hell was that?" I I have seen things even happening in my own house. It's like in our house, we've got a really long corridor, and our lounge rooms at one end of the house, and you can see right down the corridor, and you can see where the bedrooms are. And often I would see this flash going from one room to the other, mm-hmm. where the boys' bedrooms are, and I would see that often. And and um, but I always knew what it was, and it never scared me. And it wasn't till um, years and years and years later that I mentioned it to my sister, and we've never ever discussed it previously. And I knew what it was from the very first time I saw the flash flashes in my own house. And I mentioned it only a couple of years ago to my sister. And she said to me, yes, I see those flashes as well in my own house. And I said, really? I said, I know, I I, I know, I believe that I know what those flashes are, but I'm interested, and I don't want to divulge that to you, but I want to know what you think those flashes are. She goes, I know exactly what those flashes are. And she said to me, and it's even ca- causing me to be emotional now as I'm saying this to you, she said, that's, that's our dad visiting me. And I said, that's what I believe. I believe that it's my father visiting us. See, at the end of the hallway were my children's bedrooms. And it was Jaden's room and then Asher and Keegan's room and then opposite each other. And I only ever saw the flash move from one bedroom to the other. And I always believed, and still today I believe, that it's my, it was my father who was visiting my kids and looking after them at night. And I believe this because the day my father died, he appeared to me at night. So he died 
in the morning and that night he I was asleep and he woke me up and I woke up and he was standing at the end of my bed and he was looking at me and he was speaking to me and it was not a dream it was real and he said that I would he just assured me that he would always look after me and my family. So I've never, I've never been fearful of that. Mm. And it was very interesting that when I shared this story with my sister, without giving her too any insightful detail, that she experienced exactly the same thing. Wow. Yeah. Very crazy. I really so, think that you're definitely one of those people who are just more open to it and kind of like a, it sounds like a bit medium-like. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Look, I, I've, I'm not, I'm not a medium. I, I don't, I don't, um, my understanding of mediums are people who may have spoken to you and then you relay information about other people mm. experiences um, so people dead people speak through a medium to talk to their loved ones and I've heard mediums speak and things like that but I, I, I certainly I don't do that and I've, I've never experienced that type of thing so um, my encounters have been very different I guess oh so, yeah, yeah there, there's um, just a couple of stories um, that that I uh, thought I'd be able to share with you and your listeners yeah thank you so much that's so nice to like open up and talk about it because yeah it's not a conversation you have every day so it can be no hard. it isn't <laughs> But I do yeah. want to ask you, um, where do you think that you go after you die? Um, look, I, I, I do believe that there's life after death. And I think, I really believe that you, you go from one aspect of, of a existence and you pass through into another level of existence. I, I really do believe that. Um, and I've always believed that. I mean, I'm a bit of an odd bod in a sense that when, when I um, left school, um, I, I um, you know, I, I was in the music industry for a little while and then, then, then I decided to go to university. And I remember that um, that one of the things I wanted to do was to study theology. And theology is the study of God. And for a, for a young person, 18, 19-year-old, 20-year-old, um, it's very odd for a young person to want to go and study that. It, mm. It's just, it, it's, a, it's a degree that people would study if you wanted to be a priest or um, a nun or something like that. But I, I found it, I found it 
just interesting. I just I found it extremely interesting, and um, and I obviously had no, you know, I didn't have an intention to be a you know a minister of religion or anything like that. It was just a fascinating thing. I did major in theology in my undergraduate studies, and I did learn a lot about different things and about spirituality that you normally wouldn't be taught in in a religious school like a Catholic school or an Anglican school or anything like that. And I know that religion is taught in a lot of different schools. Um, but the, the, obviously when you go and study theology, it's on a high level and you're taught by theologians and ethicists and things like that. But one of the things that intrigued me the most in my studies was this um, huge study that I that I was reading and were taught about where there was this lady, her name was Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and she devoted her life, I think she was a psychologist, and she devoted her life to interviewing hundreds and hundreds of people who had near-death experiences. Mm. And this near-death experience means in, in the clinical sense that you actually die you actually die clinically dead and then for some reason um, sometime after minutes later you, you come back to life mm-hmm. but you're clinically dead for a period of time and she devoted her life to interviewing these people and what was really fascinating to me when I was studying uh, her work was that all the people she interviewed all across the world, even from different cultures, they all told almost the same story of what happened to them. Mm. And it was almost the same. And their experiences of what happened. So typically what she found were that people um, left their bodies and they rose above the room where they died and they could see everybody in the room. They could hear the voices. They could see people beyond the room. So people might have been, say, if it was a hospital, they would have heard uh, and seen the doctors or nurses in the other room treating other patients. So they actually lifted them, their, their spirit, whatever you want to call it, their soul, whatever, Different people use different terms, but they lifted themselves out of their body and they rose. And as soon as they rose above into the ceiling, they then went into a space, a dark space. And what they found, um, what the stories were consistent, were that it was a they were in a like a tunnel, a black tunnel, and it had a light at the end of the tunnel. And what happened was they were drawn to that light. And so they were floating towards the light. And as they got closer and closer to the light, all of a sudden their knowledge started to improve. Their their mind started to open. And it's as if they were flooded with all this knowledge that they never knew existed. And then they also felt like they had experienced every moment of their lives in that tunnel. And as they got closer and closer to their, that light, they started realising that everything is connected. All living things are connected. Humans, 
animals, insects, people of the past, everything was connected. And what happened just before they reached the light, they were met by someone who was very transforming in their lives, very important to them in their lives. It could have been a grandparent, a deceased grandparent, a deceased parent, an uncle, uh, or someone they met along their journey who had was now deceased but met them along the way. And it was, it was like a, a greeting, you know, it was them meeting, right? Mm -hmm. And at that point, they had to decide whether to move closer to the light or to return back to where they came from. Those stories, and, and obviously um, Kubler-Ross's work has been studied um, and, and developed upon since then, and there's many um, scientific papers that have been written about near-death experiences, and what you'll find is almost the same story repeated over and over again. Wow. It sounds so nice. Yeah, um, the, the, what's really fascinating is that these people who've experienced um, near death, um, they're not afraid of dying anymore. And they know that it's, um, it's not a, it's not, there's no pain, there's no fear, uh, you don't need anything. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's just a, a pure existence. We are all energy, all of us are energy, and that energy just passes through some sort of prism into another space, and there's energy beyond that too. This is a Purple Top Records podcast, Friends with Ghost Stories. This season is hosted by me, Georgie Winchester. A huge thank you to John for reaching out and sharing his incredible experiences with us. Thank you to all the friends of the podcast hitting me up with their stories. If you have a ghost story you would like to share, please contact me via the Purple Top Records Instagram page. Follow and share this podcast. It's free, so tell your friends about it. A special thanks to local Newcastle band Bloody Hell for giving me permission to use this track, Groovy Movie. They are the feature artists of the week and you can purchase their records from Novatone Studios in Newcastle. Catch you next week for another episode of Friends with Ghost Stories.
wake up and realize life's a groovy movie. The General Insurance presents Shower Ballads by Shaq. And I'm gonna keep balladin' you Cause it's the only thing I wanna do Turns out, everyone does sound better in the shower. And it turns out, The General is a quality insurance company that's been saving people money for nearly 60 years. I don't wanna sleep, I just wanna keep ballin' you For a great low rate and nearly 60 years of quality coverage, make the right call and go with The General. Some restrictions apply.